Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time to go on a fishing, boating and great outdoors adventure. Welcome to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Redmond, good morning to you. Good morning, mate. How are you travelling today? You, you good? Uh, no, I'm going well, mate. Going yep. well. Hey, uh, we're going to get straight into it. Um, and this comes off the back of the terrible news that we've seen uh, around Stockton Rush and his, well, his, his business, his enterprise... Uh, his company, Ocean Gate, which we've obviously seen a huge amount, uh, you know, of late. It is the submersible that suffered a catastrophic implosion going down, visiting the Titanic, and it begs us the question because we often talk about just how expensive it is to to do anything in the marine space. What is one thing that you have retrofitted yourself, and this is to the to the absolute nth degree, and let's be honest, quite ridiculous when you look back in hindsight. But what's the one thing that you have retrofitted throughout your sort of fishing exploits? It's a bit different now. You spend more money on boats than what you once did. Um, but what's the one thing that you've done and now you look back and go, geez, that was a bit stupid to try and sort of you know, retrofit something on a boat or fix an outboard or, you know, that's, rebuild a stringer and you thought at the time that was a good idea but now it's like that was a bit stupid dad had a pride a the boat pride growing caribbean? up pride caribbean growing up great boat actually it was a terrific boat had a i think it was a 115 johnson on the back of it we had and i remember that with not telling dad he's like you charge the batteries up blah 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 of course i did always charge the batteries up never charge the batteries up without him knowing we used to take it out and we used to just tie a rope around the flywheel and just pull start it every time because we never charged the batteries. Whenever <laughs> we went out in Dad's boat, and it started every time, <laughs> and we did that religiously. Did you really it, religiously? I don't know if that counts, but that's probably the Dad used to say, make sure everything's sweet to go. And we were a bit older then, so when we were younger, Dad used to make sure he charged the batteries. But when we we're older, Dad used to just let us take the boat. Sure, and we used to just pull start it. Well, if we didn't start, well, the key because the batteries are dead. Yeah, we just pull yeah, start yeah. it every time. Even at the ramp, right through to... The, we'd back in and have the rope tied off, ready to go. Quick pull start, quicker than the key. <laughs> at least you can't you, do that these days. No, you can't. No, you can't. And it wasn't like you're, you're going kilometres underneath the ocean when you've got billions of dollars that you could have spent on something decent. Yeah. I, I get as a teenager, you're like, you know what? We've changed a few things here and there. You do some stupid... Oh, there's some stuff I'm not going to say, to be honest. I fixed up a trailer when this was like... Early teen, uh, early teens, early twenties in South Australia, um, with a which a with a ratchet strap before Dad could get there and help me fix it, and that was, upon reflection, not legal or smart at all, to keep the thing, <laughs> to, to keep the thing working. 
some of the stuff you look back going, how did you alive? Like a ratchet strap. Yeah. It's like, but, I, I can't yeah. weld. Duct tape and ratchet strap. If you can't hold it down or fix it with that, you give up. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, to stop that sub from sinking, they would have needed a few ratchet straps. Do you know what an implosion is? Yeah, it's, well, it's, the, it's opposite, like a, the opposite to an explosion. Yeah. Where everything, rather than going out, everything comes it's, in. It's like you get a drink bottle and just go... <laughs> It, suck it in as it, quick as you could. It is the most extraordinary thing that you would think that you would you would try you and experience something like that. How sus do you reckon this is? Oh, it's got that written all over it. You don't have it's interesting five some billionaires go down on a boat and die. It's interesting listening to some of the people that stopped and rush had tried to get to come on this journey, whatever, and they've been since interviewed. And he went over and, and asked like personally met a few and flew a plane that he had built himself, a two-seater plane that he built himself. So the, he was eccentric to Innovative. say the least. <laughs> well, he wanted he was he wanted to be the Captain Kirk of our lifetime. Put it that way. Two hundred and fifty k to go down there, Patrick. Is that what it was? $250,000. Uh, I'm going to take <laughs> us into a, a bit of 4x4 news. The 2023 Ram Rampage, the mid-size pickup uh, for South America. It has broken cover. It doesn't look like we're going to see this vehicle in Australia, but it is as close to the Toyota Hilux and Ford Ranger in size that you can get. It's now only intended for South America. I don't know about you. I think this is a really smart move by Ram because there is no way it was going to break any ground in Australia whatsoever. They've already broken the ground. They don't need, they're not going to compete with Hilux. No. With their four and a half ton towing. No, and, and why would you ever spend yeah. the extra money to convert from left-hand drive to right-hand drive yeah. when there's already far better vehicles in that same range in the Ranger and Hilux and it, it would end up costing you more. So we're about to see Ram significantly challenged by the 150 Ford release, and we're obviously seeing that with Silverado and a few other, uh, the Tundra coming from Toyota soon as well. So the, on, the only thing that they're stating underneath it, though, is that they wouldn't be able to price it very aggressively because of their... Exactly. So it would be priced very low because of their, obviously, the car that I've got, the bigger car is only worth, well, it's not only, it's still worth a bit, but they wouldn't be able to compete against it. No, correct. Uh, Ineos Grenadier, the ute seeks to be a pickup like no other, they've stated. Uh, deliveries for the uh, wagon of the Grenadier to Australia uh, are only a few months away. Um, obviously, buyers put down their, I think it was their deposits, about 800 bucks a few years ago. Uh, so we're about to see those released in Australia. But the yet-to-be-revealed dual cab, which we've already seen a mountain of photos you know, posted throughout different um, automotive websites and forums uh, forever and a day, that is about to, to hit production, which they're stating for back end of the year, start of next year. And they've spoken often about the importance of the Australian market and where they see that being. And I don't know about you, did you see Jeremy Cameron's health update during the week? He was talking about his shoulder and everything. Shocking car that he had. And then the Land Rover 1964. Yeah. I would have driven it into the fire. <laughs> but it I don't a, like old things, Patrick. I know you don't. <laughs> but you can appreciate the... No, I can't. <laughs> you can appreciate... People have this... Um, you know, this want and need and desire to restore old things. There is a mountain of these um, these automotive suppliers out there globally globally that restore Land Rovers. Like, it is it is big business. They're an iconic shape, and obviously Ineos have seen this and 
that is what the Grenadier will be all about. Uh, the 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee, Jeep Grand Cherokee price and specs. There's been two new models uh, arrived, and there is also their hybrid version, uh, which is coming soon as well. Price from seventy seven thousand before on road costs. I'm a bit funny with Jeeps. Well, I'm a bit the same. I just heard, not heard. I know so many, so many things that go. They're a good car when they're going. Yeah, that was my experience with with owning one. You own one, have you? Yeah. So they start at seventy seven thousand, and the Jeep Grand Cherokee Summit Reserve is one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, which is astronomically expensive expensive for mine. But they they will be releasing a a hybrid version, a plug in hybrid version. Um, which combines a two-litre four-cylinder turbocharged engine uh, with two electric motors producing a total system output of 280 kilowatts uh, with uh, 637 newton-meters of torque. So that'll be uh, an interesting one. Features a 17.3 kilowatt battery pack, um, which will be interesting to see how it goes. The non-electrified version of the Jeep Cherokee uh, claim 9.9 litres per 100 k's. Now, to me, that is a company just trying to find a way to sneak it under 10, and you're going to see you know, very much um, fuel use that's So that's sitting at, say, 10. My Ram sits at 11. Yeah, it's that's for mine, that's not competitive That's not at great. All compared to what else is well, offered in the market. I literally at sit at 11 to 12, 12, like maybe yeah, 11 to 12 in a Ram, which yeah. is nearly straight, nearly... Double the engine size. Yeah, it's not competitive. I don't think it is, no. And in the uh, marine space, Redmond Mercury Racing, they have released their 500R, their new high-performance flagship at Mercury Racing. Uh, So what they've basically done is reworked their 4.6-litre V8 450 uh, to create the new Racing 500, finding an extra 50 horsepower uh, with a 10% increase in torque over the 450. So that's a bit of news for us, Redmond. And and before we get on to a bit of your week in fishing, the last one, which is a really disappointing one, uh, which I sent to you during the week. But after 91 years, the oldest fishing store in Australia is going to close its doors, which is somewhat the end of an era, Redmond. Yeah, 91 years. Three generations. Uh, Western Australia's Blue Water Tackle World. Done and dusted. So, so 90, 90 years which is an absolute shame. We're starting to see this um, really, unfortunately, right around the country of these local tackle distributors not being able to keep up with... Online. With well, Online, absolutely. Online's the biggest killer for them. It's massively... It, like You speak to even Paul, who owned the tackle world. He's like, we put up prices and then you go online and it's just... Everything's just half the price. Like, But, but you know what you're not... You're not getting. You don't get the customer interaction with people yep. that are actually going out and fishing. Like that's what I love going to, um, going to Trellies Tackle World in Geelong because I can go in, I can see talk the rubbish. boys, have a chat. You know, their fingers on the pulse because they have people come in and talk to them about what they've been catching, and then it's just like this fishing network of what your experiences have been, and you lose that as soon as you go to. You know, these huge, ginormous stores where you just don't have that same level of personability. Something that I don't recommend as well is even myself. I buy online, and I know you buy online. Everyone buys online. But the thing is, how many times have you ordered online 
and it's actually come to you and it's like crap that's not what I wanted <laughs> like that is the well, wrong size well for me that happens all like you uh, know, I, no, you know no, what no. you're doing I, though but I and I don't honestly I I struggle with sizes of things so uh, in multiple ways but I <laughs> it's it's uh, it's uh, swivels prime example what the hell's a size 5 swivel <laughs> is it, is it is, or is a size 1 bigger what's bigger Mate, I don't know. That's why. Like, that's you, why. It I, depends what brand you go with. Yeah. It depends. I honestly, when I bur- like, I did my Frogly's order during the week, and obviously, being part of my my deal, the way the way we work with Frogly, I order online. Yep. I don't know what half the stuff I've ordered. I ordered one of each, top and bottom, so yeah. I get both of the sizes. You buy hooks. Some brands of hooks. Now, I'm just going to real one. It's not universal always, is it? No, because you get yeah. seven O Gamagatsu circles, the hook that yep. I use. Right, that's yep. my favorite hook. You go get a 7.0 something else, and you're like, geez, the gape on it's small. That's not like the 7.0 I last used. Or, oh, okay, it's sold out of the gammas. Let's look at this brand and go, okay, let's just give that a run. And it's double the size in the same size 7. So you don't actually get that perspective side of things when you buy online. You get a measurement here and there. I was buying the Shogun hooks. Now, Shogun hooks are a barrel hook that we use. And Chucky goes, what size barrel hooks do you use? I said, they're either size 9, 10, 11, or 12. And he goes... Yeah, well, which one is it? I said, I need to go outside and measure them for you. So I had to go outside with a tape measure, measure it, come back in, go onto the actual size on the site and say, okay, they were size nines that I used for that size lure. Where if you go into a store, you pick up a lure, you grab three hooks, sit it next to it, match it to the head size, and you know which one suits rather than trying to guess your measurements or, online. Or you can actually you know, ask the people in there running the store. So uh, tackle uh, Blue Water Tackle World owner Liz Harvey, she thanked the community uh, in a Facebook post around where they're at. Her father-in-law, Ted Harvey, opened what was the first Australian fishing shop, as we said, in Scarborough in 1932. So it was a general store and news agency, and then they expanded it to sell a little bit of uh, fishing gear, and then slowly but surely over the years it continued to expand and expand and they had I think it was like four or five different stores right around Western Australia at one point uh, but it's certainly one of the things that we've certainly seen Redmond the shrinking of, of local tackle stores with local knowledge um, which is a real shame because it is one of the great connection points around you know where's fishing well and and having those just general you know, chats general yep. discussions where people actually care and they'll have a great follow-up um, you know with the products that you're buying you don't get on lot different you do not get it and you you try to you try to like i said purchase stuff and this my brain so it doesn't work real well at the best of times patrick when you're sitting there with these sizes of things it is so much easier if possible to get down to your local tackle store and 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 have a discussion and work out what you actually need yeah, it's terrific uh redman we've got a massive show of real adventures coming your way this morning or well, coming everyone's way this morning uh Post this break, we've got the whip around. We're going to find out what's biting in every state, and there's some really good fish being caught despite the uh, the horrific weather. It's just crap in Victoria isn't it? that you are going to go into a bit of detail around some of them, some great gummy sharks during the week. Bradley Close and Bradley Close is joining us, Geelong Premiership star, having a fantastic season, and he's going to discuss not only his footballing journey. Uh, but also his great love of the outdoors. He's got a Ford Ranger on order. He loves his fishing, and it's a uh, should be a, a great chat. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. 
Welcome back to Real Adventures. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Huge show this morning, Redmond. We've got Brad Close a little later in the show. He's talking about uh, his new uh, wild track that he's got on order, his new Ford Ranger. Uh, he talks a bit about anxiety in, in footy, which is going to be and is a really interesting conversation around how elite athletes deal with that sort of stuff. And obviously his great a passion that is golf and the great outdoors. Things that we both uh, can relate to. Well, not I hate not golf. the golf part. Well, I hate yeah. golf. But, but you know not, what? Not. Brad and Gary, obviously two friends of mine that absolutely love golf. And they've been on my back to just come give it a go one more time with them. Yes. And I'm going to do it. Yeah. No, um, like it's just, it, it's just all around me. Like the, everyone plays golf except you and I. Well, I don't like You can't fish, surf and play golf. Mind you, you know what the other thing is? Mate, we've got kids. Well, I'm trying to... Th- I think that's the reason... Brad doesn't I'm, have kids. I think that's the reason I'm contemplating golf, is to get away from the kids. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind that. All right, let's uh, kick things off in New South Wales. The blue and yellow fin run has slowed up on the far south coast of New South Wales. Uh, but it is going to fire up again, you're predicting, Redmond. Yes, yeah, so I reckon it will fire up off Gabo Island, where there's a slow patch of water out there on the charge, but up higher towards Sydney and just south of it, it's on. Yeah, game, game busters. Yeah, yep. fished 130 kilo. Al McGlashan got some, a nice yeah, fish. There's been some great photos. Like, literally, the, the fish is way bigger than the people. They've lied them. They've got the angle lying down, and the fish absolutely dwarfs all anglers. Yeah, well, They're long, depends, bloody fish. It just depends sort of what size the bloke is. If it's a little Bradley Close, it's only a little fish, Patrick. <laughs> oh, I'm good at those tricks as well. Uh, huge amounts of salmon off the Marimula jetty at the moment. So amazing. That, oh, amazing, like, isn't it? Some crazy footage of that, which is great to see. I think we're seeing the... I, I think nationally, we're seeing the benefits of the reduction in commercial fishing, long lining, netting around these places. Certainly for, for, for us in, in Victoria and Port Phillip, like we're seeing the benefits of those fish stocks not being absolutely hammered by commercial fishos. And now the wreck fishos are really getting the benefits from that. I don't get involved in that conversation. But you know, my, you, that, but you know my we rule. are though. That's my rule. But of course we are. It's like, just been the hardest whiting fishing in the last two years ever for Port Phillip Bay. Do you think that's because of the, the greater amount of nah, I don't. I generally salmon don't. Or? You're not sure? I don't know. I'm because I'm, in all honesty, I don't know. Like I just don't know. Like you, you say I, I, things are all on cycles, Pat. You have better seasons. Like you, if yeah, you fisheries, yeah. like we've had great uh, juvenile snapper. Therefore, in two thousand and twenty-five, blah blah blah. This yeah. is when you're going to see. Is it come back to that? I don't know. The net has touched that. I don't think so. I like I, I reckon there's enough fish for a lot of people, but places like Lakes Entrance, Whiting weren't weren't there anymore. Yeah. Now. The charter boats are going out and getting their bag limits I mean, every day. Yeah. So yes, in that way, yes, it's worked there. Places like Clifton Springs and, and the Swamp, for example, uh, that I like places where there's non-tidal waters. Yep. You're definitely seeing the numbers better. But places that are tidal, for, and the reason that I'm using this as an example, like Port Phillip, where I live, because I know it so well, it I don't think the tidal waters has an effect. I think there's room for them to net there. So anyway, that's a whole other conversation that I don't want to get involved in because I get yelled at every way. Uh, heading out of the port hacking, Patrick, heading north at to 35 metres of water to 50. Great snapper fishing on bait and soft plastics. Fish to five kilo. And they're, they're diff- completely different fish up north. They yeah. are. They've got, yeah. a, they've got a knobby head. Um, 
they look different. They, they eat soft plastics. Our fish don't eat them like they do up there. Uh, you're heading, heading out. You don't even have to take bait out ever. You just use soft plastics where down here... They're a bit more fickle. Yeah. Pricks of things at times. Yep. So yep. it's... Yep. Uh, yeah, it's a whole different fishery up there, but the snapper out of the hacking's been very, very good too. Uh, Queensland, some huge flathead in Gladstone this week. Soft plastics and swim baits being the pick of them. Uh, fishing from the beach out of Warham, uh, there's been plenty of tailor on baits and soft plastics as well. Uh, once again, the uh, squid have been working well, pippies uh, in a different stages. Pilchers heading over to the west, and if we start up north, depending on the, the wind conditions during the week, which have been a bit varied, uh, the inshore reefs have had decent sort of captures, Redmond, but it hasn't been anything to ride home from. No, the Xmouth's still fishing as it does. It's always good. There's a few sails there and redfish too, as we like to call them. Heading down south, though, land-based fishing, Pat. The land-based snapper in winter, we spoke about it last year. Yep. Fishing very, very good. So land-based snapper to eight kilo off the rocks, Perth Metro. So plenty of good fishing there. And, of course... Are you timing that? Are you going after early dark. in the morning? or Yeah, yeah. after yep. dark's been by far the best. Early morning sunset's good, but after dark, they're getting fish basically all night. And the good thing about Perth is the weather is warmer than four degrees overnight, so you can actually <laughs> fish there overnight and have in, and in, still enjoy yourself. And, of course, my mate, Jazz Charters, who doesn't even know he's my mate yet, but he's been doing tremendous too on those snapper, that he's got his snapper hole that doesn't end. Uh, South Australia, Port Mac, the barrels are quiet, uh, but the school fish are in plague numbers, which is interesting. Mm, yeah, they are. I was speaking to Jace and Tyson from Port Mac Charters and Want to Fish Charters, and... Like they can't even keep a big lure in the water. We're talking twelve-inch lures, Pat, and the school fish are just all Damn. over them, all yep. over them. So they're fishing excellent, but they managed to jag the odd barrel out of the school fish, which is weird, but it's happening. Uh, the it's they're not getting the workups that they were, so they're not getting the bait balls, they're not getting all that stuff that the barrels were on. Why do they? The boys still think the barrels are there. I'm starting to think they're not, but the boys think they are. They would know better than me, 100%. But why haven't they showed back up? Have they moved to a different area? Are they out wider yeah. or further down the coast? We don't know. But I think and they will come the, back. And plus the weather's been really Atrocious. difficult to get out wide, so you don't know. They, they may be sitting wide, but these boats aren't getting out. It's there. hard to travel too. Like you just can't travel anywhere because of how rough it is. So yeah. it's uh, fishing hard. Uh, Wedge Island, producing yeah. whiting Oof. to 60 centimetres. Massive, massive fish, Patrick. Big whiting. Uh, yeah, they make my 38s look very small, let's put it that way. <laughs> also, the whiting fishing uh, from the outer harbour has been red hot with bad limit captures on offer. Uh, Tassie, we said this uh, last week, uh, and this week it's been on fire again, but the Craigberg Dam um, with rainbows has been phenomenal, and seismic fishing landed a 133 kilo bluefin tuna from the west side of Tassie, which is a absolute bucket list capture if ever we've seen one two kilos shy of yours <laughs> exactly <right. laughs> I shouldn't have given you that I'm glad you we had those boys glad on, you mentioned that we had those boys on a little while ago and uh, yeah they're doing a tremendous job in Tassie from one side to the other they're catching all sorts of fish so swords to barrels to trumpeter you name it they are doing it and the odd big thresher like they, yeah they're doing such a good job over there uh, Victoria Redmond, you're going to go a little bit more in detail. Yeah, I jumped uh, on JC Bait and Tackle's internet site and had a look at his report just to give you guys a bit of an idea what was going on. And we haven't had JC on a while, Patrick, Jim Credlin. So I reckon we're nearly due to we get Jim on yep. in the next few weeks. He loves his winter cod, so we'll get him on. Swan Hill Way, big cod out of the Gunbower Creek. 
uh, spinner baits. That's what they've been getting them on. I think the some things are called the orgies or something Jim used to go on about, Pat. Uh, the Denny also has some big cod which were caught on bait. So cheese was the bait of choice. Whether the cheese works or the shrimp that gets attracted to it, you'll never know. Uh, heading back towards Gippsland, Woodside Beach had some great gumbos caught, obviously off the beach surf fishing. So fish to about 12 kilo during the day too, which yeah. doesn't... That's, surf fishing doesn't happen very often like yeah. that. So not in the shallow waters, so... That's pretty exciting. Uh, cricketer Cam White went down to Tamboon Inlet with his uh, few friends and family uh, last week uh, and got some beautiful uh, brim, up to 50 centimetres. The place is full of them. Uh, was he bait fishing or lure fishing? <laughs> the cricketer's not going lure fishing, Patrick. Uh, <laughs> he's running prawns pretty much most of the time. I've been there with him and we used prawns last time. Very basic rig, very Fun De- fishing. What decent size hook? Like, what are you using to, to catch them? Yeah, you get a, you can get away with a bit bigger hook. I'd be using like a one o worm hook or something like that. So gotcha. something a bit bigger. Uh, they're massive brim, forty to fifty centimeters. Like yeah, it's a good size fish. Huge, and they're just plagues of them. He reports. He said there was a lot of tailor in there too, and salmon that are in there because it's shut. So there's plenty of life in there at the moment. Uh, I didn't actually ask whether he pushed up or downstream of it, but I don't think it would matter too much. When him and I were there, the times that we fished, we went upstream one day and downstream the next, and we still caught them. So uh, that's just a very, very healthy, sort of nearly untouched sort of waterway that Tamboon Inlet. Uh, Western Port. Some, it's, the weather's been atrocious, right? Yeah, so really it's very tough. Yeah. But uh, I know of some big squid on the banks that were caught, and the whiting were still in relatively good numbers. Port Phillip Bay, the whiting were going good right through the bay. Smaller squid. So there was a couple of days where it was just squidable. Uh, there was smaller squid caught, nothing too, too big. But offshore is where I did my work uh, end of last week sort of thing on the gumbos. Yep. And uh, plenty of gummies offshore, yeah. right? Plenty. It's just getting the weather and the patterns to get out there and get them. Uh, but there's plenty there. Uh, Portland, we'll head there. School Bluefin, reports you could walk across them. Really? So there's a couple there. Couple, couple there. So love to hear that. Plenty happening. Plenty happening. If the weather was to just give us a week, please. Just Pat, it's been four li- legit weeks of bad weather. Okay, so we just want a couple of days of uh, glassiness, please. Weather gods, praying to our weather gods. Uh, good to see Barrels back in the action again with some better winds during the week, allowing the charters and recos to get back into it. That is our. Whip around, finding out what's been biting right around the country. Plenty more real adventures to come. Brad Close, Premiership Geelong Cats star after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. It is now time for All Aboard. Our special guest this morning is Premiership player Brad Close of the Geelong Cats. Bradley, good morning. G'day, Patrick, Aaron. Now, we've made this clear, Redmond, mm-hmm. because we've had a few uh, guests on the show that have been Geelong players over the years, and our worst ever interview was Gary Rowan. The well, first. not just, just he was on his league of his own. Yeah, the worst we've ever Life, had, like, the yeah. length of the Flemington straight. Thankfully, the second time we had Gaz on, he was a lot better, but it's not hard to come off a low base. But Brad, the... Pressure is on to be half decent and to give us some decent stories, mate. I'm feeling the pressure already. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's go back, mate. Pre-draft because you weren't drafted as an 18 year old from memory. You're slightly older. Yeah, so I spent a couple of years up in Adelaide and 
bit of sandful footy and was lucky enough to be picked up when I was 21, so a bit older than most. So that was in the 2019 rookie draft. Um, how disappointed were you when you first initially miss out? Do you feel like the journey's over and that you're not going to get your opportunity and then the elation of when it actually happens? Yeah, so I spent... Uh, a couple of months living in Adelaide, obviously come from the country. So I spent a couple of months in Adelaide playing state footy while trying to play. I wasn't picked each week. So I trained each week in the state squad for SA. And um, by the last round, um, the coach sort of said, yeah, look, um, you might as well head back home. Um, you're not playing this week once again. And um, that's sort of where I thought, you know, the dream of potentially being drafted was done. And uh, went back to Mount Gambier in the country. Um Worked a gap year selling Mercedes Benzes. Was lucky enough to drive some nice cars and <laughs> not too bad. Played footy back home at my local club and um, no, no G wagons. What were you selling? Oh, so. we were selling a lot, mate. G wagons, C sixty threes, anything. Love the. G-wagon. I could picture him in a suit, just selling selling cars. <laughs> what, his little mo. What, <laughs> what was the What was the messaging? You're not big enough. Were you not tough enough? Were you not didn't run well enough? What was the feedback? Why you weren't playing? Yeah, so I was. I was. Uh, training as a midfielder, I guess, and uh, it was just that I was just um, penciled in behind a few other players that were playing well, the likes of Jack Graham and a few few others. So SA had a, a good, strong team that year, and um, they went on and won the champs and a lot made All-Australian. So um, like the Tyson Stengel was in that team and a few others. So it was a good team, and I guess, yeah, I just wasn't quite up to the level at that point of time, and um, it took a few more years to keep working on my game. So then you drafted uh, with pick 14 in the rookie draft. And it's safe to say when you first walked in the building, Aaron, uh, Brad wasn't exactly the most physically intimidating human that the club's ever There's seen. There's not many people I'm bigger than. <laughs> <laughs> Might be bigger than Brad. But it hasn't affected you, mate. Like from, from being drafted to a how you are now, I'm not going to say like you, you, you've You've improved a little bit physically, but it's not like it's ever been your your one would have, you know, that part of your game being bigger and stronger than anyone else. But it hasn't impacted you at AFL level. Yeah, I don't think I put on too many kilos at all, to be honest. Um, in my first year, me and Frilly Laden, we did a fair bit of work in the gym to get stronger, I guess, but wasn't quite putting on heaps of size. It was more just, yeah, I guess, being stronger and a bit, bit of core and stuff like that. So... Um, I don't know if it's back to playing senior footy from a young age back in the country where I was always playing against bigger bodies and worked my craft around playing against bigger opportun- uh, playing against bigger bodies and trying to be smarter, not, I guess, as big as strong. But I think, as we know, it's not always about how big you are to tackle. You can put your mind to it and bring down some big boys. I do love Bradley's tackling technique, Pat, he but I do, I do get a bit worried. Got when suspended he's, because I, he's I reckon a, it's gonna he's happen. bull-like. I reckon he's going to get suspended yeah. again. He's, uh, <laughs> he's how, do you, how do you handle the pressures of AFL? It obviously brings a lot of, I guess, nerves and whatnot into the games and all a bit of anxiety comes into it. Do you get better the longer you play or is it still crap in your dacks before you run out there? Well, funnily enough, this is something me and Patrick talk about a fair bit. Um, <laughs> I think when I first come in, I was a lot more nervous. Uh, but it's something we talk about. It's something that doesn't always go away the longer you play. Um, I think you get better at dealing with it and try and find different ways that help. But um, like Pat, you're trying to say you get nervous? No, 100%. Oh, so, mate, your head doesn't fit through the bloody run-through thing that you run through sometimes. <laughs> well, I think that's the perception. <laughs> I think it's called a banner. Is that what you're talking about? No, I was talking about the, uh, what's that thing you run through? The uh, Not the banner. The, the race. The race. Yeah, that's fine. No, no, no. Well, I, that was, so plenty of people would say that, right? But the anxiety, it, it doesn't discriminate. Yeah. 
So I feel anxiety so before every game. What are the methods you do to, I guess, handle those situations? Um, yeah, so I sort of try not to get too ready too early. Um, I like to yeah. just um, cruise around. A so bit you're not thinking rooms. about it? Yeah, not thinking about yeah. it and have a coffee and um, just I talk to the boys and talk about different things aside from football and then when sort of we head into that team meeting and really lock in, that's when I sort of start to focus. What do, what do you What do you do? You, so you have the headphones in a lot of, you see on TV. I, I used to, less now. Yeah. So I used to always have, and people would laugh at it, but I'd have Disney music on. Mm. And like, no, you don't listen to that before a game. No, I know you do. And I, and I <laughs> do, and the reason I do is because every Disney um, song is a story. So whenever you sing the song, like you can picture the story in your head. So for me, it was actually a method to distract yourself from what you're preparing for. We get to a ground two hours before it, and you've got this, this pent-up emotion that starts as soon as you walk in the door. You now know what you're there for. Uh, so for me, Disney songs were about, you know, taking you to another place where you could sing songs to yourself for, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour, and distract you. And you'd sing them through the warm-up where it just gave your mind a little bit of a reprieve of the nervousness and anxiety that you'd experience. I reckon it gives... Uh his opponents like Petrarca and that bit of confidence when he's coming out there going, let it go. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we'd actually, we've had, we've had plenty of sessions at the, at the club around not, not dealing or dealing with anxiety, but just talking about it. And we'd speak openly like uh, with the players that are comfortable to talk about mm. the fact that, yeah, I'm really anxious before a game. We've had these discussions, haven't we? Around, you know, it's actually okay to, to verbalize it. And, you know, how are you feeling today? No, I'm, I'm nervous today. Well, let's go away from footy then. Somewhere, something that relaxes you guys, both of you guys, and that is the outdoors. I know, yes. Brad, how much you love it. You've got the rooftop tent on the back of the car at the moment, and you, what you, you love your what camping. What are you driving? What are you driving now? What, give us the rundown on the road, Dayo. No, it's Colorado. <laughs> I've got the Colorado. I'm just waiting on uh, my new my new wild track to arrive. It's He's not happy. Been a bit Aaron. slow, unfortunately, but it'll come. Join the it'll list. Come. Join the list. Pat's had three since you've ordered yours. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's what I was saying. I don't want to be shoved in front of someone else and someone else be yep. whinging about me stealing their car. So Pat's I'm happy. Joel's I've still Joel's no still had two as well. He's not even around anymore. But so, what do you do? You love your camping outdoors. You're from Mount Gambier, obviously down Port Mac. Down he hasn't, my, he hasn't finished talking about what he's ordered. What have you, oh, sorry, Ford Ranger Wild Track. Wild Track. Yeah. So three and a half ton towing in a tow boat or just keep the yeah. rooftop tent? Uh, I think the rooftop tent might have to come off the wild track. I think I'll might put some roof racks on and just keep it in the shed and whack her on and off when I need it. I don't use it enough. Are we talking mm. standard setup or are we going to go the ARB bull bar accessories eventually? Because your, your Colorado is pretty well set up. Yeah, I've just got the standard, standard ordered in, but the boys down at MT Wheels in Mount Gambia might put a few things on for me and we'll see how we go, so... Change the wheels and do a few things. So, because your partner Grace, she is very happy to get out in the outdoors, so it's not too much of an issue to go camping with her, and she's happy to join in. Absolutely, she loves camping and loves surfing and things like that. So, makes well, makes a big difference, Redmond. Now, Brad, what about you know? We've spoken about the vehicle. We've spoken about your love of the outdoors. Where are the places that you've gone that you know people looking from afar hear you talk about and go, "This is interesting." Would you would you go there? What are the places that you've been that you you know you, you think is worth venturing to? Yeah, so talking close to home, obviously had a holiday house down at Port McDonald, so every Easter and Christmas was spent down there. Aaron knows good good barrels down there, and um, part of Victoria, not quite <laughs> part of Victoria, but um, 
Everyone thinks I'm Victorian. <laughs> um, and then a, a bit further on, Carpenter's Rocks. Um, a bit more family and mates live down that way too, which is great fishing. Um, plenty of crayfish around. Um, and then back this side of the border, um, the Glenelg River. Used to head down there a lot. Um, lots of little campsites, brim fishing, mulloway fishing. Um, great fun down there. So um, The stomach doesn't quite hold offshore fishing heaps on bad days, so that's why I like to stick to the rivers a bit more. I've nearly killed every cat spire. <laughs> <laughs> well, perhaps that's why Brad likes to spend a bit of time in the golf course because that <laughs> is one of your other great loves, Bradley. Absolutely. Um, I made Aaron bring me in one day in time for a tea time, which he wasn't too happy about. But, um, yeah, no, I love the golf course. Anything outdoors, really. Golf course, water skiing is something I love growing up. Um, being in the snow a couple of times. Um, yeah, being outdoors is way better than sitting inside, I reckon. So you've played footy, well, AFL footy for... for Four and a half, five years now. What what does your post career look like for you? I know it's a it's a while away now, but as you forecast ahead, where do you think you'll be? What will you do work wise? Do you think? Yeah, so I'm still studying accounting and finance. Um, I did two full time years in Adelaide and um, been chipping away. So I've got that, I guess, to fall back upon. Um, whether that's something I decide to go into, I'm not too sure. Obviously, each day it sort of changes. There's many things that come about that interest me. So um, it's sort of something I'm working on and. See where it takes me. Well, it's been a, uh, a pleasure having you on, Bradley. We're hoping this interview means you jump up the queue a few runs, Redmond, in the uh, forward ordering line of the wild tracks. <laughs> we might have to uh, chat to the big bosses and see if we can run. Surely there. you can pull a leg for Brad Cohen. Pull, pull a few strings. <laughs> this Colorado uh, doesn't have much oil left. <laughs> Brad Close, our special guest on Real Adventures this morning. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood. It is now time for Red's tip. Redman, what do you have for us uh, for the weekend, heading into the weekend? Okay, well, I've seen on social media lately. Now, the reason that I mentioned... It's happening on socials at the moment. Especially if you live on the New South Wales coast, as we spoke about earlier in the show with that bluefin and yellowfin I thought Good. Oh, now, you're keeping it fishing-centred. I thought you were going to talk about, you know, here's a free tip. Don't use a, you know, Game Boy controller to control a submarine that goes down to the depths of the, you know, <laughs> Titanic. Anyway, let's steer clear of that. It's a, uh, that's a pretty good tip that you've got, but that wasn't exactly It's a, it's I, a free tip. It's a free tip. Like, you know? surely when it comes to anything marine, it is worth investing in, especially if you're a billionaire that has unlimited resources. Anyway... Seems a bit in all that. <laughs> you tell me it's not dodgy. Uh, the bluefin, the bluefin, and the, yeah, the reason the bluefin run's been phenomenal. So as we said earlier, it pushed up the coast a little bit, not yep. far down south. What I want to give you the tip about this week is actual GPS numbers, and the reason that I'm bringing this up on the back of the bluefin is I've seen multiple people comment on. I think it was a Burmese bait and tackle post, and people were asking like the people are putting numbers in there saying well, we're at thirty three nineteen. So people are going, what the hell's thirty three nineteen? What yep. what yep. what does that mean? Now on the Burmy coast as such, their numbers run you got longitude and latitude. So you got one fifty and thirty six. So that's the first numbers on each on each uh longitude and latitude side of things. Yes. Yep. So one fifty, thirty three. And then the next numbers are thirty six nineteen. Now 
when you're coming to game fishing and the likes of marlin, bluefin, and if you're chasing off Port Mac or wherever you are around this country, ta- oh. chasing game fish as such, quite often the decimal numbers, which is the last three numbers, don't come into play. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to put you in the longitude latitude. The 150 and 36 is that general area, uh, I guess, out of Burmy. Yep. And wherever you move. So, for example, Port Phillip Bay mm-hmm. is 38, 144. So it's a little bit different to 36, 150, Okay. So what gotcha. you what you want to do is when you're chasing game fish, it's the middle numbers that are relevant to the area that you're in mostly. So it goes up to sixty, I'm pretty sure, in the middle numbers. So it'll be like uh, one forty four. 47 it might be, but it can go up to 6 or 59, I think it goes up to. Then it will change into 144. That'll change to 145. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yes. No, it so does. it's the longitude, latitude, and that'll put you in a different area. So what I mean, when you're whiting fishing, you actually need the decimal points because you're actually fishing in a tight spot. Yeah, so those yeah, middle really numbers, specified. Yep. that's right. Yep. So those yep. middle numbers in Red's tip, what I'm trying to say is those middle numbers are relevant to that area. You So say, okay, there's a big school of bluefin busting up, there's tuna everywhere. And what it will do, that will put you in a mile radius of where you need to be. Sure. So that 33... Nine, uh, 33, well, sorry, I was reading from 19, where those fish were on the weekend. That'll put you within the, enough area for you can see all the birds. Right, we're in that area. Here it is. Let's look through this area. Where if you're whiting fishing and I put you in, say, 3319, for example, that would be no relevance to yourself because that would put you in a massive area, like a mile by mile, of where you're going to look for a fish and then you could be in the middle of nowhere. So that's where the whole number comes into play. It might be 38, 30. And then 144 it might be. And then it might be 144, 33, and then the three decimals as well. So that's where the decimal points come in to put you right on that sand hole. So when you're whiting fishing, you need to know those three decimals. And when you're game fishing, we tend to use the middle numbers. People will always say to you, what are your middle numbers? What are your middle numbers on the radio? And people will say, oh, it's 33, 45. That's where we are. And that's where you need to be in that general area. I hope that explains it a bit. doesn't confuse it. But that's your longitude, latitude for where you're looking for, uh, for game fish. Or whiting. Time now for the uh, fl- flying gaff, Patrick, or should we say the flying dingo? Well, there's a bit happening in the flying gaff at the moment. There's a, there's a couple of gaffs flying around this week, but one of the gaffs, Redman, uh, we, we start in Kaygari, uh, formerly known as Fraser Island. Oh, yeah, sorry. It got changed, changed recently. Yes, sorry. exactly right. Yep. Where a French tourist has been uh, filmed sunbathing uh, on the beach uh, where it is approached by a dingo, which comes over and uh, grabs her on the derriere. And she's not wearing much. She is wearing what I describe as half asses. These are bikinis that only cover half, asses. half your ass. Well, that's what I call them. When I talk to Mars, my wife, I'm like, they're half asses. You should, they should get a discount. They should, be, they should be half the cost of any other bikini because you only get half the material. Anyway, if she was wearing full cover, she's got no issue. But the dingo uh, approaches, nips her on the butt, and there has been a decision to euthanise said dingo after a spate of attacks uh, in sort of recent months, including a 10-year-old boy who was attacked and dragged underwater uh, recently. But this is the most recent one. Uh, The decision to euthanise it. Do we gaff that? I'm not sure. But I am gaffing the tourists that just literally continues to sunbathe and not move as the dingo approach when you know these are wild animals, Redman. I know she, she was pretty much France. A, she was asleep. Pretty I'm looking at it now. She had she didn't had no idea it was coming. Well everyone's watching it. People have enough time to film the I, goddamn I, thing. I like the comments in it. 
You know what the what is incredible at the moment is that we are we are seeing incredible interactions, some really bad, of people interacting with animals and nature. And it's like people are filming it first before perhaps warning the person of what's actually <laughs> happening. Well, oh, by mean, the way, there's a shark that's about to attack you. Let's film it. Let me just film it. Can I, can I film it first I'm, and then after I, you know, after we see what happens, then I'll let you know. We wouldn't have anything to talk about, Patrick, if people didn't film it. Mate, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's great. I like the comments. We've lost just, our humanity when it comes to filming crap that happens in nature because we're more interested to see what actually happens with the whatever interaction whether it be you know a bull shark attack that was a little bit different because (laughs) he just caught a fish um but you know we saw the attack in uh egypt where people filming on the beach like just and i get like what else do you do in that scenario but it's quite extraordinary how do people get their cameras out so quick (laughs) i like the comment section the first the one comment i'm going to mention is relevant i think i'm part dingo (laughs) And on that note, it's time to end. Thanks for your company on Real Adventures this morning. If we're around next week, we'll see you at the same time. Uh, Thanks for your company.